When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions about celebrating mom's wedding when she wants to keep it low-key, handling a friend who won't let you live down a bad recommendation, how to handle gifts when you decline a wedding invitation, and dealing with daters who offer to pay and then ask for half when the check comes. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and part one of a two-part postscript segment on the myth of how Emily's book Etiquette came to be. We're going to be looking at Laura Claridge's biography for a bit more of the truth. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about declining to recommend someone on social media. You can listen to your ads-free version of the show with its extra question by downloading it at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm back from vacation. Awesome. It it was amazing. I'm so glad to hear it. I had a staycation. I loved it. I've done staycations before where it didn't go well, where I didn't end up feeling rested. I didn't end up feeling like it was a good break, like I utilized my time well or any of that. This is not true. Four days into this vacation, I was like calling Dan being like, I'm thinking about work because I'm so relaxed. I feel like I want to come back. (laughs) So what did you do to discipline your vacation? It was awesome. This was just my version of awesome this time. Another time it could be different. I took two days off before the week I took off and that really helped. I don't know what it was, but I, I played some golf. I got in the house clean before the vacation started. My first two days, I like relaxed and had fun and cooked and ate a lot of things. But I also got some chores done and some projects started. And then I was into the weekend and everyone else was on their weekend. So I was meeting up with friends and doing things and going places. And by the time I got to the Monday that was the start of now a week off, I felt like I'd already had a vacation that had like loosened me up and gotten me relaxed. I was waking up early every morning. That was the one thing I was really glad about. I didn't use this as a time to sleep way later and get myself out of my routine, but instead as a way to start my routine earlier. I I was here at 8.30 this morning, just saying, just saying, an hour before, because I'm up earlier and I feel rested and rejuvenated. I got good long runs in. I got good time with Benny. We were together every day, which is my favorite thing. It was a beautiful week of weather. It was stunning. I was driving all around Addison County. If you've 
Never been to Vermont. Personally, I find Addison County to be one of the prettiest places in Vermont. You've got these big, like, rolling pastoral hills and land, and it's just beautiful. And then you look out, and you've got the lake and the Adirondack Mountains. And then you look to the east, and you've got the Green Mountains. And it's just spectacular. It was unbelievable. That's really well described. It's that rolling farmland it between is. the lake and the mountains. In the and then on the New York side of the lake, you've got the mountains coming up pretty oh, much right off the shore. It's unbelievable. And so I got, you know, went to some of my favorite restaurants in that area. It was awesome. I felt so great. I was so excited to come back to work, too, just because there's podcast work to do. There's books that we're working on. There's new and exciting releases that we're going to talk about very soon. This is an exciting time for EPI, and I love that I got an awesome vacation in the midst of all of it. Well, I'm glad it worked out because I knew you were really looking forward to it. <laughs> I needed it. We were like six months in. It was time. It was time. <laughs> Thank you for holding down the fort while I was away. You were cranking because you weren't just cranking at work. You were cranking at home being super awesome to the environment. <laughs> we're going solar. We survived the installation. <laughs> Systems up and running. I can't help myself. I walk past the meter every day and look at our power production. I'm <laughs> completely geeking out. Yeah, tell us a little bit about it. I'm very curious because you and I haven't had a chance to catch up about this yet. This is a vision that Pooja shared with me some time ago and has sort of walked us through implementing. And her dream for a long time has been to have a solar house and to get an electric car and to power one of our vehicles using solar also. So you got the car like two years ago, right? Yes. And now you got the solar panels to power it. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so this is Pooj making dreams come true. It absolutely is. Yay! And I am right on board. As I've learned more about it, as we got further along this road, I got more and more excited about it also. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I've seen you ramp up on this one. It's been fun. <laughs> and when it came time to do the physical panels installed i my enthusiasm continued to grow my father who lives next door started like hanging out at our house more watching this all happen now he's swinging by and reading the meter and all of a sudden we're counting our kilowatt hours and it's it's fun i won't bore everyone with the details but but it's working it is working and it had me working from home kind of supervising this construction at the same time that we were also keeping Emily Post up and running. And there was one very cute, very sweet milestone that Miss Anisha hit. She happened to call me. Oh, that was ridiculous. <laughs> so Anisha had Dan's phone and apparently managed to conference call Pooj and me. And I'm thinking, oh, Dan's calling from work. It must be something really exciting or really bad. And we were talking to mom. Yeah. We were at home on the phone talking yeah. to mom at work, and Anisha managed to conference you in on that call. <laughs> but And that's not the cute part. What was the cute part of the milestone that I discovered on this then connected call that Anisha made? She started to talk on the phone. She says, hi, hi, daddy. I love you. She got her first sentence in. I love you. You got your first I love you. Really, really nice. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know what else is awesome? What? We have a show to do. We do. It's an awesome etiquette show. It's called Awesome Etiquette. <laughs> Let's get to it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. 
Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is titled Mama's Wedding. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a huge fan of the show. Your thoughtful approaches to every situation, no matter how simple or complicated, have made a huge difference in my life. When this particular conundrum presented itself, you were the first people I thought of to help. My mother is getting married this summer. It is a second marriage for both her and her fiancé. Both have divorced from their first spouses. My mother is a bit self-conscious about the fact that this is a second marriage. She comes from a generation where divorce still carries some shame. Even though our whole family adores her fiancé and couldn't be happier, they are planning a very small celebration, and my mother insists she does not want any gifts. I want to get her a wedding gift, as do many other family members, but I'm not sure what kind of gift will respect her wishes to keep the celebration low-key, but still reflect the significance of the celebration. Also, they are both older adults, gainfully employed, joining two households of belongings, so a conventional gift, like a dish set, doesn't seem appropriate. What kind of gift is thoughtful, generous, and considerate for this situation? Should the family members who want to give something all join forces for a nice group gift? My mother is an amazing woman, and I want to honor this joyous time in her life. Not to mention, my sister and I both got married ourselves within the last five years, and my mother helped us to plan the ceremonies of our dreams— It will be a true gift to both of us to be able to return the gesture, even in a small way. Best wishes, Julie. 
Isn't that lovely? I wanted to start us off on something sweet and fun and good. I love this. First of all, a big congratulations to your mother. That is so awesome. We celebrate love. We do. We do. As far as the question goes, I think that it's perfectly appropriate to think about what kind of gift that you want to give, even if there's been a request not to give a lot of gifts. It's hard to hold back those floodwaters. It is a a natural time in life to be inspired by generosity and to want to share your enthusiasm for this marriage and for this particular celebration. I think so, too. It's This is a really tough one. As her daughters, I just think you have absolutely every right. You won't be overdoing it. Your connection is so personal. Something really special from the two of you or from your families to mom slash grandma, if you have children, that could really be perfectly appropriate. But when you're dealing with the, the other folks who are interested in giving, you can't stop people from giving gifts. I think your mom is probably really comfortably in the zone of not wanting to create any kind of registry or even make suggestions. And I would venture to guess that... Given that we're talking about someone who's lived for a little while at this point, that her friends have probably also lived for a little while at this point and would know the type of gift that would make sense for mom at this point in her life. And knowing also her desire to keep this appropriate and small. And I say appropriate because that's the way mom views this. I really would like to put out there that nowadays we just do not have the same stigma about divorce that my my grandmother's generation dealt with and even sometimes our parents' generation had dealt with. And it is really hard to convince someone who grew up with that stigma that it doesn't exist for them. They can understand that it doesn't exist for other people, but when they come to their own life, it often is something that they say, but I just don't feel good about that. And that's okay. it's okay to respect mom's position, too. I really want to put that out there, that we don't have to take this moment to modernize mom's views, but we can choose to do something really loving and supportive for her. Another thing to think about is that cards and, and wishes of well can often be something that I think in a situation like this can be something that the recipient can feel good about receiving. It can be a conversation face to face. It could be a, a handwritten card. It could be a recording from someone far away who couldn't make it. But that can often be a really wonderful solution to this type of gifting dilemma. And the other thing I just want to put out there is this is me being a bit of a nudge, but it's never bad to take the temperatures. I'm thinking, like, could one of mom's friends encourage her to open up to the idea of receiving a few gifts from people who really would like to give something? You know, it's not always easy hearing it from children, but sometimes hearing it from someone who's your peer is a little bit more of a reassurance because they came from the generation that understood the perspective that mom is holding. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. No, I <laughs> it's like a little it. busybody-ish, but it's just a thought. I was having a similar thought okay, about. Okay, okay, okay. I was approaching it from the angle of acknowledging the request in terms of both how you thought about the gift and how you presented it. Good idea. Even a little sample script, something along the lines of, "Mom, I know that you didn't want gifts and that you really wanted to keep the focus on the ceremony, but we really wanted to honor this event, and and we thought it would be really nice to give you the gift of." some time together as a family oh, that's and beautiful. we want to do a 
a series of meals out with you or we want to host you or something something that's about time spent. And I was thinking then about types of gifts that would also communicate that you'd heard yes. her request, that you were thinking thoughts like these are households merging and I'm not going to buy a lot of home goods. Totally. I was thinking about little luxuries, little nice things that mom might be able to afford but might not necessarily do for herself spa time, a product that she really enjoys. I loved your family time idea. You could even do something like, you know, a once a month family gathering or dinner or something. And again, this is all we're making up things based on like proximity of living and all of that kind of stuff. But I like this idea. And it's friends can do those kinds of things, too. What about an adventure or an experience like a glider ride? <laughs> Again, this is me. I'm now starting to have fun with this no, idea. Like like what getting might out be. there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I think there are ways you can honor that request and still honor your own impulses to really try to celebrate this, this event in a lot of different ways. A final thought for presenting the gift, because I love that you brought that up, Dan. I would not present these gifts in a big show at a reception type experience. I would not surprise mom with a full-fledged honeymoon or something in front of a lot of people if that's what you and your sister would like to do. But I do think that it's it's fine to give a gift, but I would be careful about not being too I don't want to say showy because I just don't feel like that word holds the right sentiment. Help me find a different word, Dan. Maybe making the gift giving a big part of the event and the celebration that day. Yeah, I would tone that part down. That's a good way to respect her wishes. Exactly. Julie, we hope that that helps. And congratulations and traditionally best wishes to your mother. We are very happy to hear her good news. No, mother. You've been wanting that for so long. Wait a minute. Mother... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is about recommendation regret. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. I listen to your show on my way into work, and it helps put me in the mindset of practicing consideration, respect, and honesty as I go throughout my day. Thank you again for all that you do. I find myself in a bit of a quandary. Several months ago, we recommended our dog walker to a good friend of ours who were in need of a pet sitter for their dog and cat. We also have a dog and cat, and we've been using the same dog walker for two years. We use her both for our dog's daily walks as well as a pet sitter when we go on trips. We've never had a problem with her services, and we recommended her wholeheartedly to our friends. Unfortunately, our friends had a terrible experience with her when she pet sat for them. Think multiple unclean messes throughout the house. They did not communicate their dismay to the dog walker, but they've recounted their experience to us many times. I feel terrible that our recommendation to them went so poorly, and I've expressed my disappointment and dismay over their experience. However, I don't feel comfortable relaying their experience back to our dog walker. And as we have never had a bad experience with her, we continue to use her as our dog walker and pet sitter. I would like to move forward, but each time we see these friends, usually once a week, they bring up their bad experience. I feel awkward and somehow responsible. 
How should I respond when they bring the issue up again? And should I discuss their experience with my dog walker? Thank you so much for your time. My best. A recommendation gone wrong. This is so tough. This is one of those, like, you think you're doing something helpful and then it doesn't go right, but it keeps going right for you. And the other person, like, won't let it go. This happens. I just want you to know that you gave me the best pet sitter recommendation I've had in a long time. Thank you. And I really appreciated it. My former roommate, Kayla, was an excellent pet sitter. And she loves Raj. She keeps hoping y'all are going to go away without him again. (laughs) We don't need a pet sitter very often. We have so many friends and family around. So it was one of those moments where we really need it and the recommendation was really helpful. So don't feel bad about making a good recommendation. It can work out well. Unfortunately, this, this one didn't go so well. First of all, I don't think it's up to you to relay anything to your dog walker. You have a great relationship with her. You did make the connection, but it's not your job to then be the messenger and your your friend should be the one to speak up and say, you know, this really wasn't the experience that that we were told we would have and we won't be hiring you again. And that's it. And that's their choice. Or we need to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Um, One of the things to remember when it comes to pets is that just not everyone's dog or cat behaves the same way when their owner is gone. It's it's an interesting thing that happens, but I've, I've seen it happen when I, I lived with someone and when they would go away and I'd take care of their dog and the dog behaved differently. I was like, wow, it was really different. There was a noticeable difference in her behavior when you're not around. And it might have been that this dog sitter wasn't going into certain rooms and didn't know that the dogs were or the cats were. And that's why there were messes in rooms where I've had that happen. And it wasn't a crisis, but it was also like one instance. It wasn't multiple instances throughout the house. And when you come home from something and you're tired from travel, maybe the trip didn't go as well as you planned. And then you come home and there's pet messes everywhere and you're paying someone for that. It's a real disappointment. What I don't like about what's going on here is the the kind of like constant revisiting of the disappointment each and every week. And at some point, your friend after one time, it's after that, you're done. The conversation's over. You've said your piece and you're done. It does start to feel like blaming when it continues to come up again and again and again. Yeah. At what point do you think it's okay to say something about it continuing to come up? Oh, How I, many again yeah, before exa- you say, I, I appreciate this, but I really want to move on I would from probably it. call it three strikes, you're out. And I would be like, by the fourth time I start to hear, I'm going to put my foot down and say, listen, I really do hear this. And each time that we talk about it, I apologize for this. And I think I need us to move on from this conversation. And it's not fun. You can tell that is not my like warm, fuzzy sample script voice. That's my like, Okay, we've been through the apologies and we're talking about a month later, you're still bringing this up. I'm not, we're done. Please know, that's like in my head what I'm thinking is like, this is over. The sample script provided before is, is what I'd be closer to saying. I like something that I'm hearing here. There's an etiquette point that is jumping out at me. Okay. You're, you're acknowledging or assuming that there's a, an apology that happens. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, I would be assuming that this has been apologized for because our, our listener has said they apologized. And it's not, it's exactly, it's not our listener's fault. But when someone tells you that something didn't work out well, you can always sympathize. Yes, you can. And a, a very simple, easy, I'm so sorry it didn't work out for you. Our experience with her has been very different. Or I'm so sorry you came home to that. What an unfortunate Thing to have happen. Just the, 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 the acknowledgement of that difficulty is oftentimes a really important part of this process. Part of a good apology is that it's received well. 
that someone hears that, accepts it, and then that's part of a moving on process. And so there is a, a real rudeness that starts to develop when that apology isn't accepted and that moving on isn't the next step in the process. So you're making me, A, feel really justified in the kind of like three strikes you're out because it can take people a little while to receive something and accept it and process it and feel it. And, and you know, one, two, okay, three times I've gotten this message across to you that I'm sorry for this and I wish it hadn't gone this way because I really did think this was an okay recommendation and I just feel terribly that that was your experience. I'm wondering if we can reword the tougher sample language that I had that focuses more on the acceptance because I like your use of that word and I think that could be a good angle to kind of start to point out what's not happening in this interaction Mm -hmm. you can say gosh you know Jane I really am very sorry about this I'm I still feel badly that it happened but I would really love it if you could accept my apologies so that we could move forward from it because I'd like to have other conversations when we get together yes another way to redirect this is to suggest that they talk to the dog sitter about it because if it is something that's still bothering them and they haven't talked to the dog sitter I'm guessing that that's our point of process that's not happening I wanted to jump back to the introduction to this question where Recommendation Gone Wrong mentions that they listen to this podcast on their way to work as part of a practice of putting themselves in a mindset of thinking about consideration, respect, and honesty. And recently teaching about etiquette, I found myself saying etiquette is not something you know. It really is a practice. It's something that you recommit to each day, that you make an effort to engage in your wife. And Recommendation Gone Wrong, good luck getting past this regretful recommendation. Often, as we play or work together, we have to compromise to settle some of our disputes. Compromises are one way to settle some disputes quickly and fairly. That's certainly more fun than disputing over it, isn't it? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Next question is titled, Not Attending, and it comes via Facebook. Hello, Awesome Etiquette team. My husband and I have been formally invited to a business associate's daughter's wedding. We have only met his daughter briefly on two separate work-related occasions. We don't want to attend. However, we do want to send a gift. How should we handle this? Should we mail the gift with the declining RSVP, or should we send it closer to the wedding date? My husband and I would love your guidance in this matter. Thank you, Francesca in South Carolina. Hi, Francesca. Thank you for the question. This is a different version on a destination wedding that I won't attend gift question (laughs) that we often get, which is, do I have to send a gift? And I personally really appreciate your, I feel inspired to send a gift. I appreciate this invitation. I want to participate. How do I do it? How do I do it? Well, I'm not going to be there. I think it's pretty simple. You can send that gift anytime between now and the wedding. That's your ideal window. You don't need to try to time it or coordinate it so that the gift arrives at the wedding venue or at the reception for display. You can send it to the couple. If you want to time it so it lands a little closer to the wedding, you can. But really anytime between 
sending your RSVP and the wedding date is going to be just fine. Absolutely. I mean, technically, you've got like three months till after the wedding, but I like your idea. I didn't idea even want to go there. I know you didn't. I know you did. I saw you holding back, and I was like, no, we got to give him the full scope. <laughs> you trying to tighten up the deadline. Best practices. This is we're a best just, practice. We're so in like efficient work mode right now. It's like, no, 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 just send it now to get it done and get it out of the way. So technically you do have until like about three months after the wedding. But I think your idea of sending it with the RSVP is good. I also think that it would be fine if you sent it a little bit after that. But most importantly, definitely make that RSVP happen. And, you know, because it's a it's a work thing. I understand you're not close with them. You can always make sure, hey, how did the wedding go? Oh, wonderful. The pictures, everyone looks so happy. You know, participate in the ways that you can, even though you're choosing not to go. And I think it makes sense that you're not going. This really isn't someone that you're very closely connected to. Um, it was very nice of the boss to send you an invitation, but I love we, that we idea. feel you. <laughs> I really like that, that to use the the fact that you've been invited to build a connection to the person who's your connection to this wedding. It's yeah. a really nice opportunity. Exactly. Francesca, thank you for the question. Good luck with that RSVP and the gift. Our next question is about dating dilemmas. Hello, I have an awkward dating question. I have been on two dates where the man in question has offered to pay, but when the check came, he has rescinded and asked for half. The first time, I could afford my half, but tonight, this person ordered so much, bottles of wine, etc., that I could not afford half. However, I gave in and paid, even though I am left with about $50 for the week now. I would love to go out on dates, and I don't like making a scene, but in those situations, how do you get out of them, more or less unscathed? I totally think this depends on whether you want to go on a date again with this person. I don't mean to say that, but I was just thinking like that wasn't a thought in my show notes. But my thought there is like if someone invited me out and said, I would like to take you out to dinner, my treat, like they made it really clear that they were going to pay for it when we were doing the ask and we were arranging the time we were going to spend together. And then when the bill came, they said, OK, so let's just split it. I actually think I might say, oh, well, I'm happy to split it. But you had actually made quite a point of saying you'd like to take me out. It's one of those where depending on how it's going and what the circumstances were, you could pull that off or it could go terribly, terribly wrong. This is a really tough etiquette question. You would think that if someone offered to pay, you could reasonably expect that they would pay. Right. And in some ways, I think your advice is really sound that don't worry about it too much. This isn't likely to happen again. At the same time, it's happened twice, twice. with two different people. So you start to say to yourself very naturally, What's is this a thing? <laughs> Am I going to have to deal with this? Do I need to protect myself from this? Exactly. I do think that actually what Dan just said is one of the best ways to go. Trying to be really explicit about that, who's taking care of this or are we just going to split it? You could even choose to start your dates by saying, how about we each pay our way when you go to arrange them? That way you're not kind of caught up in the situation at all. And you can save a, um, you know, the person that you're on a date with pays for you. That's a nice feeling, by the way. It's, it is for a lot of folks. It is nice to be taken out. Matters not whether it's a man taking out a man, a woman taking taking out a woman or a man taking out a man or a woman taking out a man or it really just simply matters that the people involved are comfortable with what is happening. And what I hate for our, our dear dating listener here is that 
this person is out on these dates feeling like they understand what's going on. And then there's this moment of great awkwardness and it puts quite a lot of pressure on them. In that spirit of thinking ahead, I like your idea of offering to pay for half. And then if someone says, no, 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 I've got it, that's happened on top of you're already offering to do the let's split the check the order, approach. And the it is a little more comfortable there. <laughs> it, it might help get them more invested in that idea, more committed to it than any sort of unspoken assumption that the person that's done the inviting is paying or, or even if they've sort of just offered or said they would like to, but maybe in their own mind are hoping or maybe (laughs) wishing a little bit that you're going to respond and say, no, no, let's split it. It's a first date. But I like the idea of doing that when you're setting up the date, not when you're sitting at the table. Um, I I think you – I I personally think what you did is probably what I would have done. I just think that there are people out there who need the encouragement and the permission and the the confidence to be able to say, you know, I'm going to call someone out on this because this is a big deal. The place where I would really put a big stop up is this person who's ordered multiple bottles of wine, a larger meal than you, you know, maybe even more courses than you. That's where I would say, you know, I would be happy to pay our own way, but I'm not comfortable splitting the check tonight. That's a not quite middle ground. That's a 70-30 ground. That's like a 70. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think making that clear is something that, that you know, you should, you should feel really comfortable doing because you're right. You're left with an amount of money that, that you're indicating is not comfortable for you for the rest of the week. And I think that, as always, you hear us talk about on this show, stick within your budget. And sometimes we have to be really clear with people about what that means. And you're not asking that this person pay for things that you ordered. You're simply saying, I would like to only pay for what I ordered. And again, I'm also going to just simply be considering we're, we're literally on a date in this scenario. We're evaluating each other's behavior and style and tastes and MOs and everything. And this really might or might not be a deal breaker for you. And you're going to have to decide that based on the time that you had with the person and how interested you are. And it's it's OK for that to be a part of what makes you decide how to be hard-lined about this or not. Dating dilemmas, some of the most difficult etiquette questions are how to respond when you're confronted with rudeness. And this is one of those difficult or challenging situations. And I really appreciate your thinking about this and thinking about how you can be true to yourself, take the high road, but also still participate and continue to get out there and enjoy dating. I think the important thing about a date is to have a good time. And you don't need to spend a lot of money to do that. You just enjoy whatever you're doing, whether it's movies or parties or anything. And you leave your boyfriend enough money so he'll ask you again. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your question. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. We had a listener respond to our conversation about eating strawberries. Dear Lizzie and Dan, 
Your recent reference on how to serve strawberries was an absolute delight. May I add a couple of points to the discussion? When I serve strawberries, I eliminate the need for a little bowl on the table for the green bits by hulling the berries in advance. That way, company can just pop strawberries into their mouths without any possible anxiety about what to do with the leaves. When Dan suggested serving berries with a bit of sugar, I was almost hoping to hear a recommendation for folks to whip out their antique sugar shakers. Because, of course, who doesn't have an antique silver sugar (laughs) shaker lying around in their dining room? Smiley face. (laughs) A sugar shaker is a bit larger than a salt shaker with a pierced domed top. A sugar sifter is even simpler. It's just a small silver ladle with a pierced bowl. Perfect to use in your regular sugar bowl. The really cool thing is that our listener provided a link to a video and we are putting it out on Twitter and Facebook for all to see. And it's a really cute video of actually using the sugar sifter. And it's I'm not going to spoil all the things that happen in it. So please take a look. We were very, very happy to receive this. So cool. This useful bit of table equipment faded from use after World War I, but it deserves to be brought back for our favorite summer berries, especially since we no longer judge people on whether or not they're the sort of people who buy their silver. Mm. With best wishes for the summer berries and the best company to enjoy them with, Etiqueteer, Robert. Robert, thank you so much, a fellow etiquette expert submitting some etiquette feedback. I loved your video. I'm very excited for people to go take a look at it. Um, I find the different silverware from the ages really fascinating, and it's really cool to see how the sugar sifter was supposed to work when you're serving strawberries. One of the interesting things that I've learned as I've gotten older is that not everyone actually removes the greens, and that that's something a lot of people feel, you know, they eat the the leaf or stem of an apple. They eat the green. They just go for it. And um, recently I had my former, former roommate, Jacqueline, over for some coffee and she's gluten-free. And so I wanted to serve up some berries and things for our coffee and breakfast rather than coffee and croissant or something like that. And what I did was I almost removed the hull all the way. So I did kind of like a capping of the strawberry almost, trying to waste as little of the, the red berry as possible. But they looked really pretty with the hulls still on. And then they had it was it was like really easy to pick up the berry. It was enough attached so that you weren't going to like have your berry drop off as you picked it up. But when you went to take a bite, these are big, juicy strawberries. It can get really messy when you're trying to tear off the greens. And so she said, oh, my gosh, this is so easy. And, you know, the top just came off. and It was really funny. We had like a total etiquette, etiquettical moment. Um, and it was really funny. I love thinking about how you pass your vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I served coffee and strawberries. <laughs> I love this. Thank you so much for submitting something that had a little bit of history. And please, please, listeners, go check out etiquetteer.com and check out the, the videos that Etiquetteer has. This response came to a question we answered about planning to eat out with friends when you don't eat much. It reads, Just heard the feedback from Anxious Planner and just wanted to add one thought. Use the internet! When I am planning a dinner out with friends and I'm not sure how much they are comfortable spending, I send them links to the menus of a couple of restaurants I am thinking of going to. This allows them to not only see the kind of food at each place, but to see the prices. Then they can respond with their pick or with the response that neither seem good and it's back to the drawing board. 
Thanks so much. Love to eat out with friends. P.S. I often order off the appetizer menu myself and simply add a side of a veggie. The entrees are just simply too large. Love to eat out with friends. Thank you for the feedback. Sometimes the simple, obvious new tech solution doesn't occur to me. And Google it. <laughs> it's such a pleasant <laughs> reminder that we live in an amazing world with amazing connectivity and information flowing around us all the time. And it doesn't necessarily complicate people's lives to be invited to participate and share their opinions, reviews, thoughts, and information as well. Love it. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript comes from the Emily Post biography by Laura Claridge. And we're, we're gearing up to the 200th episode, and so it's got me, you know, like milestones get me thinking about beginnings. And I love that. you and I are talking about already the 20th edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. And so I found this delicious little section in Laura Claridge's book about the origins of where the idea for the book Etiquette came from. And we have our own family lore about it. I was thinking the exact same thing. That the, the word origin is the, the word I was thinking about to describe this postscript. Legend and might be another word we could use. <laughs> because when you introduce this postscript to me, the whole idea is that there's a lot of different ways you can tell a story. And the way that a family might tell a story and pass a story down over time – We'll have a version of the truth to it, right. but that there are lots of different ways to approach any story. And you had discovered a slightly different approach to this story, and I liked your idea about sharing both versions. Listeners, we definitely love our family, but we are completely aware that our love has a great bias to it and that we have family legends and stories and lore. And in some ways, we love them as we are. And one of the beauties of having a third party, non-biased person do a biography on your ancestor is that a lot of your family stories and lore get completely challenged and the truth comes out. And what I love about what Laura Claridge has done is that she tells both. And she tells the stories as they develop and kind of the myth of them. And then she also has found fact in other places that that can counter them or take a little of the shine off in some ways. But she does that in a way that doesn't say Emily Post and her family were liars. Instead, it's isn't it interesting to see how things change and evolve and where the perceptions are at certain points? One of the things I really appreciated about the Laura Claridge biography and its view of Emily was that she had a real appreciation for Emily's own romanticism in terms of how she saw her own life and who she was. (laughs) That these aren't just stories that have been told by family members as they've been passed down. Laura Claridge had a really clear vision about how Emily crafted her own story about herself. And to me, there are all kinds of lessons in that and in the willingness to, to see that in someone, to admire the elements of them that 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 they admire in themselves, but then also to see with a really cool and clear eye as well. It's it's been wonderful. We've we've loved this book so much. Dan just finished listening to it on Audible. I'm about to start. It's it's really fantastic. So this begins uh, with chapter 39 on page 244, and we'll continue on to two page uh, two page 245 for those who would like to go and check it out. 
It begins, Though they could drink to the newlyweds in the privacy of a family setting in 1920, she, being Emily, and her newly empowered female friends were still unable to raise a champagne toast at Delmonico's in honor of their hard-won status as fully enfranchised American citizens. Prohibition reigned, promoted in many cases by the very women who had lobbied hardest to get the vote. Emily didn't drink, but, ever her father's daughter, she was disgusted with the government's interference with what she believed were citizens' rights. At one of the Saturday evening dinners for Twelve, where the guests routinely waxed indignant at the restrictive liquor laws, she was feeling particularly feisty, and she argued eloquently that all citizens should have the right to make their own decisions. Before long, the discussion turned to the problems of civic versus personal domain, whereupon one of the erudite guests reminded the others that the French word for ticket— used to remind citizens to distinguish between private and public space, was actually the source of the English word etiquette. With that, Vanity Fair editor Frank Crowenshield, lingering over dessert alongside Emily's longtime family friend and legal advisor, Phoenix Ingram, now happily married, launched into a lament for what passed as etiquette books those days. Mostly pretentious babble, he huffed, that had no grounding in ethics. He himself had written the satirical Manners for the Metropolis over a decade ago, a book that skewered both the pretensions of the newly rich and the snobbery of old money. As if suddenly inspired, Crowney turned to Emily, his dinner partner, and urged, "'Why don't you compose a book on how to behave?' Emily poo-pooed the idea, embarrassed in spite of the instructional articles she had penned for magazines over the past few years, that she was being asked to write a book about something as uninspired as manners. Perhaps the story about Frank Crowenshield inspiring Emily Post to write etiquette is true. A savvy interpreter of others' abilities, the editor surely recognized in his friend a hybrid perfect for the age, a woman proud of her past, even as she sought to be part of the future. So we are going to continue on to the next in next week's Postscript segment, because it is delicious to kind of see how the story develops, where the truth is, and where both uh, our wonderful Laura Claridge and Emily end up in the last line. Lucy Post, well chosen and well read. Oh, thank you. I mean, I know I was giving it kind of a voice, but I also, I like it because it's No, it that's the voice little, this like, book is meant to be read in. A little lofty, a little snobby, but also a little loving of the characters, too. <laughs> this was my introduction to Crowney, okay. who had not made the family version Crowning of this shield. story. And um, we often learned this story with a, a primary character, a Mr. Duffy. Who comes and in next week's episode. I really liked meeting Crowney and hearing how Mr. Duffy and Crowney interacted and really helped tease this book etiquette out of Emily Post, who didn't take much teasing. <laughs> according to the myth, <laughs> as Laura says, according to the myth. <laughs> to be continued. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we hear from Anne. Hello. Sending out an etiquette salute to my friends for corralling their cat during a weekend visit. <laughs> I love it. My allergies are sometimes overlooked, as they aren't life-threatening. 
and all the symptoms aren't always visible. Hello, itchy eyes. And it was very much appreciated that I could enjoy our visit without sneezing my way through the weekend. Smiley face. This is just one of the many ways that they were hospitable and considerate hosts. Many thanks, Anne. Gotta love it. You just gotta love it when your hosts really do that extra effort that makes things easier for you. I see the host guest dance here. Yes. And acknowledging that her allergy is not so severe, but it does impact her enjoyment. And I see both a really clear honesty about the allergy not being life-threatening, but it really affecting her enjoyment and an appreciation for a host who could also see and understand that. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out. Become a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by the incredibly awesome Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thank you, Chris. Chris.